Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of jazz, soul and blues collide with the shapers in the world of business. Our guest today is Graham Simpson, founder and chairman of Simpson Travel, an award-winning specialist tour operator. Simpson Travel was founded in 2002, but has an industry heritage of almost 40 years, as Graham and his Greek wife Yana first started offering villa holidays in 1978, inspired by the idea of sharing the kind of authentic travel experiences they love themselves. Simpson Travel, whose portfolio features carefully chosen locations across Corsica, France, Greece, Italy, Mallorca and Turkey, chooses to follow the road less travelled, which Graham says represents an alternative attitude rather than an alternative destination. Graham, no doubt, will tell us more about that in just a few minutes' time. And it would be remiss of us not to talk a little on his six years as chairman of Watford Football Club. We notice Watford is not yet a portfolio destination, but has that experience fed in some way into Simpson travel? Thank you for joining, Graham. My pleasure. You have travelled a lot. Travel is your passion. I have read and I have seen you talking about it. Where did you get the bug? It's a great question because I had a a very middle-class upbringing and uh, until I was 16, I don't think I went beyond Bognor Regis with my parents for for a holiday, but I had it in my blood and um, I started travelling there and I started hitchhiking around Europe with friends and it just grew on then and I always knew that it was something I wanted to do and uh, have continued for the rest of my life. Many people will relate to that and they'll go, of course, we love travelling and some people feel it, as you said, even if it wasn't in your upbringing, as it were. But you translated that into your first business and I'll come back to the acting in a moment because for people that don't know, um, I'm in the presence of an actor as well. Not that you've done enough in your life, Graham. I really think you should do some more things. Uh, Why did you convert your passion into a business? Because some people say, great idea, got to do that. And other people say, keep well clear of your passions and focus on something serious. Great, great question. Um, When I was an actor, I was acting for about, uh, I think about about 10 years. And uh, I was okay, but I wasn't that good. And that's something you can look back and say, you know, that that was me. And by the time I, after 10 years, I think we had two children. I think my last job on the theatre was uh, the National Theatre. And basically, I used to come out of there and then go minicab driving all night. The National Theatre didn't pay very well, so uh, that's what I did. And then one day, my wife is from Crete. One day, her brother-in-law said, why don't you come and stay with us, have a holiday, you're exhausted, looking at me. And, And that's what I did. So we went over there, we had a wonderful holiday in Crete, in one of his villas. He had a couple of villas. And he said to me, look, why don't you just, can't you put an advert or something? Because it's always empty, we never use it. Couldn't you put a little advert in England and see if you can get a couple of clients to come over? And we're not going to charge you, but we'll charge them. So I said, well, that's a great idea, I'll help you, of course. I put an advert in the Sunday Times and I can remember what it said, Anglo-Greek family off a beautiful private villa. And the phone started ringing on that Sunday and it just never stopped. And in that weekend, we sold this villa for the whole of the season. And not only that, and this you've got to remember, this was 1978, so people were quite, quite a lot different in those days. And people were coming round and knocking on our little flat door in Chiswick, handing us the deposit, and I was saying things like, but I haven't shown you the brochure yet, I've done a brochure and I've written it. No, it's OK, we want it. 
cut a long story short, I said to my wife, until I become a great actor, we've got to do this because we'll get some money and I'm fed up with minicabbing and all the other jobs I've done from croupeeing to dolphin trainer, dustman, everything. So we set up this little business from home and we put a little advert in. I went to the bank. They offered me some money, which was fantastic for an actor to get some money to sort of get a couple more apartments. I went back to Crete. I found a guy and he said, yes, I'll give you a couple of apartments. I took the pictures. I wrote it. The ironic thing is that I never went back to acting. Uh, <laughs> I just carried on for 21 years running a travel business of which I had not the faintest clue what I was doing. But we had one thing that we believed in passionately and we wrote it in the first brochure and that was that we wanted to give the people the kind of holidays that we would want to go ourselves on. And that was independence, freedom and integrity. To be honest, that's lasted the whole of my life, even now that the new company, well, nothing's changed. There's the same ethos, the same philosophy. You talk about with humility not being a great actor and you mentioned in the same breath, well, you know, I was at the National Theatre and you were on television as well. I mean, you couldn't have been that bad. It strikes me, and you mentioned the other jobs, you were always going to work hard, Graham. It didn't really matter. You were going to make ends meet. To me, you look like the kind of person that would be, if stuff wasn't working out well, you'd find a way of making that work. Where do you think you have got that drive from and that tenacity that I see in your eyes? That's a great question. Um, I don't know with my father because he died when I was very young. Um, as I said, I had a fairly middle-class upbringing. I wasn't very well educated. I went to the wrong school. I was sent to, when I was 11 to a technical school uh, because one of the teachers saw me do something which she thought was technical. And so I went to Chesham Technical School where they specialised in engineering, woodwork, plumbing and bricklaying. And I hated all of them and still do. I can't do any of that. I'm useless. So I ended up in a school where I was completely demotivated. I didn't know what I wanted to do. That was my path at that time. Things have changed now. People get much more direction and what they're doing and they draw out their talents. But my, my main interest even then was literature. And I probably was the only, only guy in the class that, or the school that actually ended up with a GCE in, uh, in literature because it really interested me. But nobody else was along that path. So it was a bit of a shame in one way. But... From there, I think whatever happens, and you, you, can't, you don't know what's going on down deep in your subconscious or whatever, but I, I just slowly began to realise that there was a direction in life and that what you, what you do in life, what you put into it, is what you get out of it. And it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a great sportsman, whether you're a great actor, whether you're lucky enough to get into travel, it doesn't matter. You just have to put as much into it and what you put in comes out. And, and really and truthfully, I don't know where it comes from. Wish I could tell you. I wish you could too, because then we could go and run away and, and make everyone happy and make everything work. But but the, uh, on the serious side, the the business, which again you you sort of said I didn't really know what I was doing, and I and I kind of don't I don't believe that because obviously something was working over twenty one years. How fast did you learn the to use your word the technical stuff? And was the attitude just much more important? Was it about your philosophy? Because surely the product was pretty good. I mean, you built up from one villa to many, many, many different villas. There must be something it, it, going on. It's true. I really did not know. We did not know what we were doing. We just had this philosophy, which I explained to you. And every so often, we got a little bit bigger every year. We got another villa. I went and photographed it. And I think we ran that for about 13 years till 1991, just as a small private company that suddenly I had money. I had enough. I didn't have to go and work as a whatever it was waiter or a minicab driver or whatever and I had enough money and that was very nice and then 1991 came along 
1991 was the first Gulf War. Now, that was a really very, very uh, key moment because up until then, the only war that had been around in Europe wasn't in Europe, in actual fact. It was the Falklands, which was thousands of miles away, and we all watched it from a distance, and we didn't really, didn't really affect us. But this one affected us. So I think they invaded... Kuwait or whatever in about January 1991. It's our busiest time January in the travel for the summer business. That's when you're taking all your bookings. So I think even in those days, and we were relatively small, we might be having two or three hundred phone calls a day. I think we got two on the first day and uh, one was the wrong number and one was probably the bank manager. It was a reality check and I think in 1991, 300 travel companies went to the wall because business just died for three, three or four months. Everyone was just mesmerized by what was going on and we survived we survived because we we had to make some sadly some of our staff redundant um we all went on 60 percent wages uh, we went to all the owners abroad and said we've got a problem will you help us you know we can't pay you straight away but we survived and and so did lots of other companies although one big one intersun went went down in those days but what I learned from that, and it was just a learning curve, is that I could no longer run it as a private company. I needed to make sure that I differentiated where I went. And at that time, we were very much in the Eastern Med. So we were, we were in um, Turkey and Greece and Crete. Eastern Med, that was the area nobody wanted to go to. Everybody felt safer going to Spain and places like that. So I said to, uh, I said to my wife, we've got, to, we've got to open up in Portugal, we've got to open up in Spain, let's go to Italy. And slowly, slowly, over the next uh, three or four years, I started opening up a destination every year and going there and finding properties and everything like that. And why I explain that I didn't really know what I was doing is I thought, well, I don't know whether this is going to be successful or not, but I'll do it. And the extraordinary thing that happened to the business was because we had built this huge bank of people that trusted us and liked us, if we suddenly said, OK, we're going to Portugal or we're going to Italy and we're going here, they would say, well, if you're going, that's good enough for us. We're going. Mm -hmm. So we had this huge following and success of clients who weren't necessarily coming back to us every year in Crete or Turkey that started going to Portugal and started going to Spain. It wasn't planned. It wasn't clever. And within, I think, from 91 to 99, we went from carrying 5,000 people to 45,000 people when we sold it. But we never really planned that. All we wanted to do was make sure that we didn't have that terrible experience in 91 and make sure that didn't happen again. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper who's sharing... Um some really good lessons about adapting to changing situations and often out of adversity, if you get it right, comes opportunity, as I think the saying goes. Much more coming out from Graham in a couple of minutes, but first let's hear from our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for you and your business. I'm Sonal Gandhi. I'm a partner in the real estate group at Mishkondorea. I act for the private individual and their companies in buying and selling high-end residential properties in central London, as well as acting for private banks in their secured lending work um, on residential properties. The most important thing to know about working on complicated transactions is to effectively appoint a pivotal person that's going to act as the project manager of that transaction. Invariably, there's going to be a number of parties involved. It goes without saying that with so many people involved in a transaction, things can start going astray. So it's essential to have a go-to person. It's very much like that person is the conductor of an orchestra. All of the players are musicians in that orchestra. They each have a piece of music to read. Without that conductor, they're not going to play in tune, in harmony, to get 
the end result. Therefore, my advice is to have that person who can control, who can communicate and ensure that all parties are cooperating together. Too many cooks, disaster. They all start going off on their own agenda without having that person to essentially manage the process and effectively deliver that goal for that client. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways to hear this and the hundreds of former Jazz Shapers. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. If you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes, you can enjoy the full archive, including our special encore editions where past guests return to tell us how their business aims have played out and how that shaped their vision. But back to today's guest, it's Graham Simpson. He's the founder and chairman of Simpson Travel. I want to just stop a minute, 1999, the business is sold. You've got a little hiatus. You're probably going, well, that was quite nice. I think I I watched you somewhere saying, I had time to smell the roses. And then I'm like, do I want to smell the roses every day? I don't really. And in fact, you decided that Sundays were a good day to smell the roses and the rest of it you would want to work, which makes sense to me, I think, because I'm I'm sure everyone envisages this great moment where they say, I don't need to work again. And then you go, well, I'm a bit bored. You set up your other business, your new business, Simpson Travel, which you're still obviously um, going very strongly with, and we'll come to the numbers on that. But about the same time, a little bit later, you then end up being asked to become the chairman of of a football club called Watford, which was my first football club. How did that happen and how did that fit with this, you know, business number two? When I sold Simply Travel in 1999, the first thing I did was ring up Watford Football Club and I said to them, as a lifelong supporter from whenever I was eight or nine years of age, I said, how much does it cost to become a director? They gave me the figure, not straight away, but they came back to me in a couple of days and I said, I'll take it. For me, it was an incredible experience to, to be a director of the club I'd supported all my life and I loved it. And I was along with lots of other very interesting people. I think um, Elton John was the chairman then. Graham Taylor was the manager. He was like a god to me because I'd, I'd seen him in the 70s and 80s with my sons on the terraces. And there I was suddenly this, this lad who was in the director's uh, room. And it was wonderful. But at the same time, I'd had 21 very intense years working. And... I decided I needed to go and see the world a little bit. So I went off travelling, sometimes with my wife and sometimes on my own. And I went to uh, Southern Hemisphere, initially with the children, and went round Australia and, uh, and travelled with them. And then I went off on my own and became a sort of wrinkly backpacker, mm. uh, staying in the most simplest of places, getting a bicycle when I arrived on an island. I went to Fiji, I went to uh, Western Samoa, I went to Tonga. It was, it was a great time for me, and I, I relaxed. I came back. And one of my sons was in, in Africa working for a charity and my wife and I went to Africa, uh, to Tanzania, 12 hours four, by a four-wheel drive into uh, Tanzania to where he was working uh, and where they'd never seen a white man. I was in my 50s then and they'd never even seen a white man in his 50s and they all used to run away and scream because they thought it was the witch doctor. And I had a, an incredible experience. All that was combined with my team coming back from Simply Travel saying, actually, we'd like to start again. We're not particularly happy where we are. Would you do it? So I basically said, yep, I'll do it. I'll, I'll fund it. But I don't want to be the chief exec or managing director or whatever you call. I just want to I'll fund it. You run it. And at the same time as this happened, I was sitting on my board at Watford or being part of the directors. And Watford had a bit of a financial uh, hiatus. They were in trouble. And I thought I could I could help my club. I could do more. So I approached all the other directors, and there was about there was about ten or eleven of them at the time, and said, um, "How do you feel if I actually put a bit more money in, and I'll raise some more money with you guys, and we get Watford out of the poo, 
and we take it forward. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to uh, to do this, and I became the chairman of the PLC um, with about twelve directors and some really heavyweights who were far more skilled in business and and and, and things than I was. And we did, we did okay. We got three semi-finals. We got promotion with A.D. Boothroyd into the Premiership. I'll never forget that. Then slowly it didn't, didn't last. Nothing lasts in football and the money has to keep being put in. And uh, I put a lot of money in and obviously didn't get it back. But I have no regrets because it was the most incredible experience. You talked about your team, Graham, coming back to you and saying, we're in these different places. We love working with you. Can we do something? And you said, yes, I don't want to be day-to-day involved. This was a conversation whatever now 16 years ago the business is now turning over almost 30 million pounds it seems to have gone up it's heading in the right direction that team that came to you then obviously on the back of a great relationship is now going great guns what are they doing now in this business to remain competitive why is Simpson Travel doing well because as we've all grown up travel has just become a much more affordable part of everyday life and yes it is a middle-class pursuit to a point Flights have never been cheaper, although we've got a problem with the pound at the moment. Generally, people are able to move around in ways that when I was a kid, we just couldn't do. It was exotic to go on holiday. It's no longer exotic. What's singling out your team at Simpson Travel? Why is that business doing so I think there's one word, and I'd say passion. I don't think that I've lost my passion. I love travel, but more than that, I'm not in it to get rich. I'm incredibly lucky. I have enough money in the world, and that's, that's very, very fortunate. I'm blessed, but I love being part of a team. I really enjoy meeting my clients, hearing their stories. We have tremendous loyalty. I think 55% of our clients return with us every year. We have another 10% recommendations, and I'm very proud of that. It's passion, and that passion, I believe, if you have it at the top of the tree, that can filter right the way through, and, and I'm really proud of my staff. Right the way, the overseas staff, the, the London staff, they all feel very proud. They're full of passion for what they do. So when they talk to the clients, they're talking them, they have a lot of knowledge, they're talking about the holidays, they're recommending where to go. When they go abroad, my staff abroad, they're there as a lifestyle. They love working abroad, they live there, and they will look after the clients. And that's, that's a key ingredient, because when you're small fry, and let's be fair, we are small fry in the great big world now that we live in, you've got to have a USP and that's our USP the knowledge the care the integrity everything that we started in when we started nothing has changed Mm. and there are a lot of people that recognize that and yes we do charge more than most but why do that work because when we send people on holiday and we take them on holiday we make sure they're looked after not molly cuddled but something goes wrong we fix it and people like that that's very very important and that's our USP as a business but it all comes down to passion and do you think they would describe you in that way? Would they say the reason we love Graham is because, insert, it's because he's passionate? What else? I mean, you strike me as a very down-to-earth, straightforward, non-materialistic kind of fellow. Well, I can't tell you everything they'd say about me. Uh, <laughs> it's but, not broadcastable. Probably, <laughs> I, I think some of them would say what he does is he, he's, he's up over the, uh, the ramparts, he's charging forward, yelling everyone to follow him and do it. And when he gets there and he sees what he's done, he then says, right, now you'll get on and do it. And that's probably my strength and my weakness. So I, I lead them, I think. I come up with ideas. I'm always thinking about what new can we, what can we do. I'm not the managing director anymore. I'm the chairman. I've got a great team in the London office who run it. And I think I'm an ideas man. I love the product. And I get to that stage and then I say, guys, I can't do this detail anymore. You do it. Final chat coming out with Graham. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Art Blakey. That's in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
That was Art Blakey with Moaning. Just for a few more minutes, Graham Simpson is my business shaper. We've been talking about lots of stuff, and you've mentioned money a couple of times, and you said you're a very lucky guy, and you know it's not important to you. And people that have always made a bit of money say that, and I don't mean that rudely at all. But why? What is your relationship with money now? Obviously, you have made enough. So, in what way? Does it not matter? Are you really just doing it for the love of it? Or is there a commercial side, but it's like, it'll be what it'll be? I think, for me, money has never been that important. It's been important when I had children and wanted to survive and be able to feed them and, 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 and obviously educate them. But I've never been driven by money. I've always been driven by um, producing good quality. Whatever I do in life, that's the most important thing. And I think... I think I'm not alone. I think there are other people like that. That that breeds success. What I do want is, it's not just that I don't, I'm not focused on money, but I want to be successful. I want to be the best. I want to be very, very good. I want Simpson Travel to be the best company out there and for people to come back and say, we love traveling with you. That's my buzz. And the money is a bonus, but it's a great bonus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever, you know, mm. say anything against it, but it doesn't drive me. And in terms of the amount that you work now, you said you're an ideas guy and that you're leading from the front. Um, does that mean you work when you need to work? Does that mean you go into the office? I mean, what's your your uh, secret now, Graham? Because you don't need to work in the same way. Uh, my secret is, unfortunately, and my wife, if, if she listens to this, will back you up on this, is that I work too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at work-life balance. I look at the younger generation now, probably you and everyone like that, and I think they've got it organised. I will still work 12 or 14 hours a day. It's not clever. I know that. I just can't stop it. And often my wife will say, please, just come come in, come and relax. I, I, I'm just so involved in it, I can't let go. I don't think that's a great asset. That's just the way I am, and, I, and I've learned to live with it. And I don't think I'm ever going to change now. I'm probably too old. In terms of, again, I just want to pick on one thing before we leave you, or you leave us, rather. You talk about education, and you said you were at 11, and I remember talking to my dad about how people were pigeonholed at a certain age, and generally the 11-plus thing was when it all happened. Are there things now that you would change about the education system with regard to preparing people for the world of work? That's a really good question. I, I think there is. I think, well, looking at it now, the opportunities are so much greater. But, of course, if you're fortunate enough uh, to go to a private school, in many ways you get greater opportunities. You're allowed to develop different skills. And I think in the, in the standard schools that's sometimes more harder. It just depends which, where, where you're at. So would I, would I change it? Um, certainly I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it through what, what, I, what I went through because I was pretty uneducated. Um, and partly that was my fault because I wasn't motivated. But the one thing I learned in life, which I think is the thing that I see with young people now coming out of great educations, which doesn't worry me, but it's something I observe, is how little common sense there is. Common sense is the greatest gift that you can have. It doesn't replace intelligence, but it really does help to make decisions where you actually think things through and you, you calculate it. And sometimes people come into, into my office for interviews and they're very bright, they've got wonderful uh, uh, qualifications, but there's not an ounce of common sense there. And common sense is, doesn't matter what business, whatever you do, you need common sense. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, Graham. Thank you for your time and insight. And you're right, common sense is in short um, supply, it would seem, many days of the week, then, at least in my life. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, my song choice is, uh, is, is I think, something called Midnight in Moscow. 
by um, Chris Barber and his jazz band. Why have I chosen it? And it took me a long time to deliberate on this. I think I told you earlier it was the most difficult decision <laughs> because when I was very young, I grew up in a place called Chorley Wood. We used to go to Rickmansworth Jazz Club and that's when I was about 14 or 15. It was trad jazz in those days and we used to dance and I remember that and this was one of the songs that was played there. So I'd like to, I'd like to relive that. We're taking you back to Rickmansworth right now. Thank you very much, Graham. <laughs> was Chris Barber with Midnight in Moscow, the song choice of my business shaper today, Graham Simpson. Independence, freedom, integrity, the three principles he set his first business up and the three principles he has taken through over 30 years of working. And brilliant advice around keeping it simple. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Be passionate about what you do and there's no value that you can ascribe big enough to the idea of having common sense. Fantastic stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash jazz shapers.